Hello, welcome into the Mavs Draft Podcast. My name is Jared Katz. I'm alongside Mavs Draft himself, Richard Stamen. Richard, what's going on? Man, I'm just uh, thinking about how the draft will be in a couple of days and, uh, you know, trying not to cry over here. <laughs> yeah, so we have an official date now, right? They moved it back one day to Friday. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, the NBA keeps uh, giving us one last night of sleep. You know, first it was the NBA regular or the regular season continuing. Now the draft one night back. I mean, dude, it's a lot of generous nights coming up from the NBA. <laughs> well, I think they actually moved it backwards one night, right, from a Thursday to a Friday. So they yeah, never mind. Because yeah, I think that same night Patrick yeah. Mahomes is playing Thursday night football, and they were like. We're not going to compete with that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have to resign as Mavs Draft now that I uh, didn't get that right. <laughs> uh, failure. All right, so at Mavs Draft on Twitter is now officially available. Uh, DM for <laughs> for any inquiries there. Inquiries only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. So uh, we uh, we left off last episode saying we were going to be accepting mailbag questions uh, for this week. Uh, we actually got more than we were expecting, which is fantastic. Uh, we're going to try to get to a few of those at the end of the episode. Uh, well, we will get to a few. Uh, we won't get to all of them, uh, unfortunately, today. But keep sending them. Um, you know, they give us a lot of a lot of ideas and uh, and some good discussion. Uh, you know, I had a buddy who who was asking some stuff about Cole Anthony and. Um, you know, lo and behold, that's that's one of the players we're going to be talking about today. So uh, if you didn't get your question answered this time, uh, you know, we're keeping them kind of in the in the question bank. But but keep asking away. We were excited to uh, to answer them. Uh, so without further ado, let's just jump right into Cole Anthony. Uh, Cole Anthony, the uh, point guard out of North Carolina. He's a freshman. Uh, can you give us a little background information on Cole? He's the son of Greg Anthony, isn't he? Yep. Uh, the NBA 2K broadcasting legend, Greg Anthony. Uh, his son is uh, out of North Carolina, had, had a bit of a rough freshman season, uh, you know, battling injury. I think he had a meniscus injury or something in the knee. Um, and then also the team just, I mean, to be born, it just was not good for him especially. Uh, so he was a one-man show. He did a lot of work there. He was one of the, I think he was number two recruit in high school, maybe number three, um, you know, really good athlete. People, people loved him coming into the season. Obviously his stock has fallen a little bit from where he was as a high school senior, but uh, overall, I mean, he, he still impressed me as a freshman. Yeah, for sure. And, and he's an older freshman too, if I'm not mistaken, right? I think he's already 20 years old. But uh, I have him at uh, he's 6'3", 190 with a 6'4", wingspan. So he, he doesn't really have the the length that we're kind of accustomed to seeing with high draft picks. Um, but uh, you mentioned he missed some time. Uh, he missed 11 games with that meniscus injury. So in 22 games this year, he averaged about 35 minutes a game and put up about 16 shots per game, uh, converting at a 38% clip from the field. Uh, on about six and a half three-point attempts, he made just under 35% of his threes, and he also made 75% of his free throw attempts on about six shots per game from the line. Good for a uh, 18 and a half point, six rebound, four assists, and 1.3 steals per game stat line. So, uh, where where do you have Cole Anthony ranked in your top 3,000 players that that you have? <laughs> 
<laughs> right now he's at number five. Uh, he's my, I believe, fourth-ranked guard, uh, right behind Killian Hayes, Lamelo Ball, and Anthony Edwards. Um, I mean, what you just said really jumps out to me because, first of all, I didn't even know that he only missed 11 games. Uh, I think that's really impressive simply because the fact that his team was terrible before he went down. Um, and to miss only 11 games from a meniscus injury is pretty impressive. And then to co- want to come back and play, even if you're not at 100%, I really think that says a lot about kind of where his head is at. For sure. He's definitely a competitor. And, you know, I know one of the questions about him going in was, you know, how is he a good teammate was, was primarily the question. You know, there, there was no question. He's a, he's a competitor. He loves basketball. Um, you know, he's kind of got that alpha dog mentality, but the rumors were essentially that he kind of always made it about him. Um, you know, there were reports, you know, just kind of hearing from, from some other podcasters and things like that. I think, um, I think Babcock maybe had said something about it that, um, uh, or maybe it was, uh, Vicini. Now I'm not sure it was on that podcast though. They were talking about him. Uh, and you know, they were mentioning that, you know, if you really watched him when he was injured, he was still pumping up his team and being a leader. Um, so, you know, that's obviously, you know, good to see, right? Yeah, no, I mean, he, he, he's an alpha dog. Like you said, I mean, that's, that's perfect way to put it. I mean, he's, that's kind of who he is as a person and who he is as a player. Same kind of thing. You can tell he's the leader of the team. He sets it clear who he is, what his role is. And, uh, on the court, I mean, that's why he had the ball in his hand so much. Unfortunately at North Carolina, they didn't really adjust the system to like, you know, you see a lot of these one man shows coming into the draft and they adjust the system around them. But with Roy Williams, he really didn't change the scheme at all. It was just kind of, Hey, run like we have four NBA players, you know, like we kind of always do. They had one, maybe two, you know, and one player in this draft and he can't run that same system. So he was put in a lot of tough situations. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you said you have Cole Anthony at four, right? Yep. Uh, so, no. Okay. Five. At five. Okay. I'm sorry. So I have him at six. Um, so pretty similar there. Um, do you envision him as a lead point guard going forward? Yes and no. Not full time. Uh, I think you can trust him to run the offense. I think he's a really smart kid. Um, I mean, he has the basketball DNA and he knows, you know, where his teammates are and everything. But I don't think you're going to be happy with him being your full time point guard. Um, I'll get to it in my player comparisons, but I mean, you kind of want him to be your combo guard can run it when the point guard is, you know, when Marcus smart is guarding whoever he has next to him, next to Anthony, it's fine to run Anthony as the, you know, initiator. Sure. Um, but you don't want it to be a hundred percent of the possessions, you know, while he's on the floor, you don't want him to be the floor general. Absolutely. Um, so when, when we're kind of revisiting his uh, meniscus injury, I just kind of want to, talk about that in his athletic profile so you know you watch the high school mixtape and he is you know high flying you know he's i remember watching that that mixtape and being like wow this this is one of the best mixtapes i've seen since like john wall um not comparing the two as players but just in terms of the some of the impressive feats i was seeing and then i kind of turned on the college tape and i don't know if it was the you know, the jump to college or if it was the knee injury that, you know, I didn't quite see that same level of explosiveness from him. Uh, So do you want to touch on that a little bit? 
Yeah, so I still thought that he was like it was obvious that his athleticism is a plus. Uh, sure. I think a lot of it had to do with, I think a lot of it had to do with the spacing. Uh, I mean, it's harder you know to be explosive when you have three people at the rim. Uh, or three people in your way to the rim. Um, and I think that's something that really limits what it looks like. But I still think um, before the meniscus injury, he's a totally different player, I think. Um, I think before the meniscus injury, he was operating as the same level athlete. It was just those, uh, however many games it was after the injury, that you could tell he didn't rely on his athleticism, didn't want to blow by guys. And he may not have been 100%. That may be why. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's no question he's he's still a really good athlete, you know, explosive leaper, quick first step, um, good lateral mobility. Um, but, you know, when I was first watching him in high school, I was like, you know, he's not quite, you know, he's not Derrick Rose, but, you know, maybe a tier below. Now I'm not sure he's even up that high. Um, but I, I do think part of it has to do with him not having exceptional length. And so, you know, we'll kind of get into it more, you know, when we talk about the, the scoring ability that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how well he's going to be able to finish over NBA bigs at the next level as much as he'll ha- have to kind of be crafty, uh, you know, in terms of using his body to to create a little bit of space. So what do you kind of think about that? Yeah, and I mean, he's he's shifty. Um like you said, I mean, yeah, the athleticism isn't exactly what we were told it was. I mean, if, if you remember, I mean, there were empty gym workouts where he was doing off the glass windmills, all this stuff. Uh, and, you know, it looked like he was just this freak athlete. Um, but for me, I mean, in game, I, I think the body control is kind of what stands out to me. The fact for that sure. like, you never see him lose is that's that's something that translates you know it's like you can take contact doesn't fall down you know upon contact uh and that's part of strength as well of course but he can move around defenders so easily and it's it's really impressive like i mean i can't i'm gonna be saying this a lot like i've already said it three times i can't wait to see him with nba spacing the spacing of north carolina just it it, it's already bad in college it's worse when you play in a tough conference on a bad team yeah yeah, I would agree with that. And the the body control for sure is something that he's he's already got. He's already does such a good job, um, you know, when he's finishing at the rim. And I think that's going to serve him really well. Um, as a shooter, um, again, he he shot, I believe, just shy of 35% from three and 75% from the line. So really not too bad for a first-year college player. Uh, how do you think his shot's going to translate to the next level? Yeah, so especially when you look at the fact that, and I'll be saying this throughout every single podcast, uh, the fact that the three-point line is almost NBA range compared to every other year, um, the almost 35% as what would be, you know, as an 18 or 19-year-old because he turned 20 recently, um, I mean, that's really impressive. I, I, I buy the shot. There's nothing wrong with the shot. Um, in my opinion, I don't see any issues in getting the shot off. It's quick. He creates space. I buy the shot entirely. I think that's far and away his best tool. I mean, would you agree with that? that I don't know if it's his, right. So I don't know if it's his best tool, but but the fact that he, it's not even that the shot is enough to keep defenses honest. It's a legit threat, and and we've seen it where he'll he'll size you up and he'll just pull right up in your face off the dribble. Um, you know, he's he's equally adept at doing that or shooting off the catch. So. 
the the fact that he has that in his toolkit means that when he does attack a closeout, you know, it's going to be a hard closeout because you're going to want to try to run him off the three-point line. And so that's going to help him a ton as well. Yeah. And the scary thing with him is that he can score on every level. Uh, I mean, his mid-range scoring is, I mean, I don't know what word to use for it. It's just really good. Like, I mean, I don't want to say elite. That's a little bit too high. But, I mean, his shot is butter. There's no, there's really no issues at all coming from mid-range. He can do it on the move. He can spot up. Uh, and then at the rim, he finishes both left-handed and right-handed. See, I actually thought he he preferred to finish with his right hand, at least when he's uh, taking contact and, and kind of trying to finish through traffic. I think he definitely prefers to go with his right. It's a small gripe because we've seen him be able to go to the left. It's just I want to see him, you know, do that more consistently, just be a little more ambidextrous in that regard. Um, but I really like what you mentioned about the the mid-range game because so many people say, you know, mid-range is dead, this and that. But if you want to be a legit three-level scorer, then you have to be able to score from all three levels. You have to be able to have that mid-range shot in your arsenal, especially as a league guard when you're you're we're more talking about the pick and roll acumen you know that has to be a, a shot that's in your arsenal especially if you're not going to be a guy who's going to finish above the rim you know in traffic consistently you know keeping the guy on your hip and then pulling up from free throw line area uh, it's going to be a big part of his game yeah and you see that with uh cj mccollum does that a ton he uses picks just to score from mid-range and he's so efficient at it that you know, the mid-range is dead, all that narrative. It, it's only dead for people who aren't good at it. When you got a CJ McCollum, potentially Cole Anthony, it's a good shot. It keeps defenses honest. I mean, because if you don't know to close out or to stay at the rim, you've created probably good space. And I think people have completely forgotten that. But like you said, coming off the screens at the free throw line, super valuable shot. And then also... In college, I mean, for me, I think if a guy is an iffy shooter from three on the percentages, a really good way to tell is that in-between game, that mid-range, you know, free throw line area. If he can shoot from there, I, I trust the shot growing, like consistently at least. For sure. And I'm not sure he'll ever be a knockdown shooter, but, you know, is he going to be reliable? I, I almost see it kind of like as a Chris Paul where he seems knocked down, but you know, he's, he's not totally knocked out, kind of like that sort of shooting ability of, you know, when he needs to pull up, you feel good about it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's someone that you're not like, oh, God, please don't, you know, don't shoot. You're not holding your breath with him shooting. Right. So I think the one other thing as far as a score that I'd like to see him incorporate is just improving the floater a little bit. I think it's it's there. Um and, and it'll just kind of come more with with experience, because, again, in high school, he just come down the floor and, and dunk on you. So, um, <laughs> you know, once he kind of had to start using it in college, you could see the, the fundamentals of it were there. And I just think, you know, in the NBA, having that as a consistent weapon is, is going to be big for him. Um, so let's kind of talk about the ability to facilitate. Um, obviously at, at North Carolina, his usage rate was super high. Uh, you know, you mentioned that earlier. Um, and I'm not really sure they had another ball handler on that team that Roy Williams felt comfortable going to. So the ball was in his hands a lot. Um, you know, he did dish out four assists per game. 
Uh, I personally thought he, he could be a, a little more careful with the ball. Um, but all in all, I, I feel like he's he's got pretty good playmaking instincts. Yeah, and it's really impressive to me that he averaged more assists than turnovers, especially considering how many times he dribbled into double teams to try and split. And he did it successfully a lot. Um, I mean, he he's a really good ball handler. He's a really good passer, but I don't trust him being my point guard. I don't trust him to make tough decisions on the fly. That's where my gripe is. I think he has the tools. Like he's a, I, I thought he was very good, uh, very good at getting his teammates open shots in rhythm, um, where, you know, on the corners, everything like that. He's really good at finding the NBA spots and he has good vision. He knows where his teammates are going to be, where they are now. But again, I just, I don't know if you want him being your full-time point guard because he's just so score first. I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, we've seen him be able to to make passes with, with either hand off a live dribble. Um, but, you know, something that I kept coming back to was he, he kind of would get tunnel vision sometimes when going to the basket. Yep. You know, there are times where, you know, the, the drop off to the big is there and he either doesn't see it or he ignores it to score. Um, I do think part of that is, and again, you mentioned it just, him being on a different level than the rest of his teammates and maybe feeling like he had to put the team on his back. Um, But that's not something we're going to know for sure. Obviously, you know, is that a a product of him feeling like he needs to be the guy? Uh, And if that is the case, is he going to be able to relinquish that feeling and understand that this is the NBA? I I can, and I need to trust my teammates. So, uh, with high school, his habits, you said, you know, with the floater, that was a habit that he kind of got out of. Even though he has the skill, he didn't really get into the habit of using a floater over defense. It's just because he didn't have to. And it kind of carried over to college, like you said. Uh, kind of same issue could happen at the next level. In college, you know, he didn't trust his teammates. Depending on where he lands, he may have that exact same issue. If he goes to the Knicks or Pistons, with all due respect, he may form some bad habits with that that may continue. Whereas if he goes to the Wizards, the Suns, something like that, where there's 25, 30 points per game, guys, you don't have to worry about not trusting your teammates. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so when I kind of want to revisit his uh, his pick and roll ability, because I want to now we, we kind of talked about how he can attack as a scorer, where, you know, obviously, if someone goes under the screen, he can pull up from distance. Uh, if they go over, he, you know, he can attack that way. So. Do you think he's he's a good passer out of the pick and roll? So I think he's kind of neutral. I didn't have a feeling one way or the other. Um, I wouldn't call him bad and I wouldn't call him great. You know, I, I'd say he's right near average. Uh, and I'm actually trying to get the synergy numbers. I'm, I'm curious as to what uh, what the numbers are on that. What, what do you think of him, though, before so we I get th- the numbers? I thought he made good reads overall. Like, like I thought he recognized when he needed to attack, when he needed to hit the roll man, when he needed to find the weak side shooter uh, or, you know, kind of take advantage of a mismatch one way or the other. Um, again, I, I think the natural passing ability is there. Um, but I kind of agree. Nothing stands out, right? Like LaMelo's passing really stood out to me, right? Some of the passes Killian Hayes can right. make with his left hand really stand out to me i cole was a he's he's a fine passer i think and 
And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with his playmaking skills out of the pick and roll. It just didn't flash elite in my mind. Yeah. And, and I just looked up the numbers on synergy and I was far too, far too high on him. Uh, so he ranked in the 39th percentile on pick and really? roll ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a really surprising one to me. That was really surprising. I think it's a bit harsh, uh, but it kind of exemplifies why both of us have concerns about him being a full-time point guard. If you look at the other point guards in this class, you're not going to find any, like at the top especially, uh, really any first-round point guard, you're not going to see any of them below 50%, I would guess. I don't, I don't have the facts. Uh, that's just kind of a guess on the top of my mind knowing a lot of these players, but you wouldn't see, and I'm talking pure point guards um, in this class. You wouldn't really see that. I don't think, I think it's a really low number. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, The kind of the last offensive thing I want to talk about with him is his ball handling. Um, You know, I I do think he's got a pretty tight handle and, and he's, he's got all the, the moves in the bag that he needs to create space um, which ultimately is is the goal as a ball handler. So, um, you know, I think you kind of referenced it earlier that you think he has the skills, you know, the, even as a ball handler of a lead guard. Um, you know, is that something you, you feel comfortable saying? Yeah, no, he has the tools and the skill to be the lead guard. It's just, it's just knowing how to run an offense, which is the most important thing I think a point guard can do. He doesn't have, and that's the kind of, and it's partially a combination of passing ability, space creating, but so much of it is mental. And that's just where I have him just not checking that box, which isn't a bad thing. There's plenty of players in this league who are combo guards. Like it's not a, you know, it's not a knock on him. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously we, we buy the offense, um, you know, as a combo guard, the scoring's there you know, there's some semblance of playmaking there. So let's touch on the defense. I was actually pleasantly surprised uh, with with his ability to, to defend. So, um, you know, talk about him a bit as an on-ball defender. So I'm, I didn't see too much that would impress me. I will say, though, the one thing that really gives me hope about him going forward is once he adds strength, um, he, I think he'll be able to hold his own because he got beat off the dribble so much. Uh, that that's something that I think is controllable at the beginning. Uh, kind of a first step is you, you know, stopping that first step has something to do with strength. Um, but his frame is, you know, underwhelming. It's going to hold him back. And then also, I just do not, I would not trust him to be put in a pick and roll on defense. I mean, he's, he's very, very disappointing on that end with pick and rolls. So I actually thought, first of all, what I really like, well, so I'll start with what I don't like. And you referenced it. He's he's small, right? He's yeah. six. He's six three, six four, uh, with a plus one wingspan. So not physically impressive. Um, however, I think he's got really quick hands and feet. And but one of the things that I really do like about him is is his mentality on the defensive side of the floor because. You know, we talked about the alpha dog mentality, and I think you see that on both sides of the floor where he, he doesn't want to give an inch on defense, which you don't always see from somebody who has the mentality of a scorer. So is he going to be limited? Yeah, um, he'll probably be limited to guarding the smallest guy on the floor. But I think yeah. with his mentality and the quick hands, the quick feet, 
uh, he'll be able to stay in front of guards and, and at least be a pest on that end of the floor. So I, I actually don't view him as, as a negative defensively. Yeah, and I don't mean like Trey Young level or anything like that. Like he's nowhere near that. Uh, and I, I'm dying to say who my comparison is because like I, I it reminds me so much of this player uh, that he'd used his strength. Once this guy got really strong, you know, he was able to take people in the post. He was able to hold them before they exploded off of him. Uh, players exploded pretty quick in front of him. But it, like you said, I mean, the mentality is there. Like, he, he's a smart kid. And I know I've said stuff, you know, a few minutes ago about offense, you know, with the intangibles and everything offensively with passing. Uh, but that doesn't mean he has a low IQ. I, I think he checks out the IQ, intangibles, the feel, everything like that, which help him on defense. He knows rotations, you know. He's not going to be out of place. That's never going to be an issue for him. And motor isn't an issue either. Yeah, you, and you just touched on it. He, I think he's a really good team defender. Uh, always seems to be in the right place. Doesn't really seem to to get caught napping or, or take plays off too often. Um, you know, he he kind of sees passes before they happen, and and he'll jump passing lanes. One thing that actually really impressed me, and I think I mentioned this about Anthony Edwards as well. You know, he, he'll challenge you at the rim. It doesn't matter that he's 6'3". He, he can get up there, and he's not afraid to rotate to the to the weak side, or from the weak side, excuse me, and challenge uh, and challenge someone at the rim. Um, so, uh, you know, again, is he a great on-ball defender? I think he's fine, uh, but I really like him as a as a team defender and as an off-ball defender. Um you touched on the on the motor as well, um, you know, is a, is a huge plus for him. And I actually like him quite a bit as a rebounder. He averaged, what, like almost six rebounds a game as a 6'3 guard at North Carolina. You know, I think part of that is the hustle and part of that is, you know, he just reads the ball well off the rim. He'll, he'll get it and go. Yeah, I, that's actually the one area on my list of uh, my list for him is he's an elite rebounder for a guard. I mean, you don't see guards like him grabbing that many rebounds. It's almost Russell Westbrook-esque with how how well he reads the ball off the rim. And he doesn't have his teammates box out for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, we, we've kind of covered the the evaluation as a whole. Um, so you've been dying to get to your comparison for Cole Anthony. So uh, I'm dying to hear it too. Who, who do you got? I'll do the light one first. The one I haven't really brought up. I did bring up a Twitter poll the other day about him, uh, which first one shades of Zach Levine, tons of shades. I think he, the scoring is 100% mirrors Zach Levine's skill set. Uh, you know, love slashing, really athletic, obviously doesn't have the first step that Levine has, but uh, you know, shades of his scoring ability. My other one is Monte Ellis, uh, former Mav. I think he reminds me a ton of, you know, the same defensive traits, uh, similar size to, you know, really strong on ball uh, from mid range. And then he wasn't an easy bucket when you had another guard on him. Obviously, a mismatch is a different story. I uh, read the passing lanes well, loved going for steals in a non-dangerous way. Uh, and his scoring is really similar to the mid range moving jump shots. Really similar play styles on both of those, I think. It's kind of a hybrid of both. And uh, obviously, both in their careers have had their reputations of being high-volume shooters and scorers on not-so-great teams. But there's a place for that. Monte Ellis was an almost, like, in my opinion, he should have been an all-star one of his years in Dallas, uh, or near in the discussions, at least. 
So if you get someone like that in this draft, I think you're going home happy. Well, and as we all know, Monte Ellis has it all. So uh, I didn't think of that. Anthony, you gotta love that comparison. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I I could have just saved y'all a bunch of time and just said has it all. <laughs> so nothing actually really jumped out at me as far as a comparison. So I don't I don't really feel comfortable going there at the moment. Um, but uh, what about you know, fits, uh, you know, as far as teams, where, where do you kind of like him going? So not Chicago, not Charlotte, anywhere else in the top 10, I would say, even with, even with Atlanta, I would Cleveland? Risk oh, I'm sorry. In Cleveland, uh, yeah, I'm, okay. you know, who loves using how bad of fits they are for guards. I just assumed it's in the script at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Golden State would be really good for him. Uh, Minnesota, even with D'Angelo Russell, I put I put aside the defensive issues. Like, if you're getting a third scorer like him, second, third scorer, which I think ultimately is probably his role, I think you're happy with that on a winning team. And if, with the way offense is so important in this league, uh, I personally can't see him escaping the top ten, just based on talent alone. Yeah. Uh, I would probably agree, and I know we brought the the Knicks up a couple different times for some players, but I actually do really like the fit there, Um, and not just from a basketball standpoint, but I I just think they need someone with that mentality, Uh, you know, kind of someone who can help kind of reshape the locker room and say, you know, we we mean business. Um, You know, the the other thing I kind of want to touch on real quick is – uh, one of my buddies from college uh, actually texted me today about Cole Anthony, and he had a, a question for us. So this is this is like a is this teaser for the mailbag. Bag? It's a teaser oh. for the mailbag. We'll get into the actual <laughs> mailbag a little later. Uh, but Frankie asks, uh, how far could Cole Anthony fall? Um, and you know, it's interesting because he's he's kind of been all over the map when you look at mock drafts. You know, I've seen him, you know, top top five, six, and then I've seen him kind of towards the back end of the lottery. So what do you think is kind of a realistic expectation for Cole Anthony? So the way I'd answer this question is what team, if they're on the clock, where's the last spot where they kind of just say, we can't pass on this guy? He's the last team that would say that. Um, and I think, honestly, it's San Antonio or Sacramento. I think if you go to 12, uh, and I'm using, you know, today's, standings um but if he goes to sacramento's spot if he's still there at 12 you have to take a hard look in the mirror and say like do we can we afford to pass up this talent even though we really don't need another guard they've signed buddy healed long term there's issues there right now with him and um luke walton and i i would take the risk i would swing for the fences you get another scoring guard next to De'Aaron fox uh, I don't think he goes past uh, Sacramento. And even the San Antonio, even though they have DeJounte Murray, Derek White, they don't have the high-level offensive guard that every team seems to have. That would be another spot, too. I just I can't see him escaping 12 at the very latest. I think that's fair. And, and honestly, once you get down to 12, now you're just talking about, you know, are we drafting for need or am I taking the best player on the board? And at that point... You know, I don't see anyone who compares talent-wise to Cole Anthony. So I kind of agree. I, I don't really see him falling out of the lottery, and, and I think it's more likely he kind of falls in that 7 to 
11 range. Um, but we're going to kind of close the book on uh, Cole Anthony for now and move on to uh, Florida State's Patrick Williams. Um, so actually, my first question is, how do you kind of have him classified? Where, Like, what position do you have him listed under? I lean small forward with the way the NBA is, probably power forward. Um, but combo forward, I guess, ultimately is the official thing. I, ha- I just have him listed as a forward. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's how I have him listed. Uh, where is he on your big board? Man, by the time this gets released, he might just climb. Uh, <laughs> I would say right now he's number 10. There's really okay. no for him. I'd say I, I can see an argument being made for top five, and that's anywhere five, four. I mean, I don't think he moves past three. I think that's the hardest stop. I'm really sipping the Kool-Aid on, uh, on Patrick Williams. Uh, yeah, so it seems like it. So I, I haven't... Uh, I haven't ranked or I haven't watched all the top players yet. I'm kind of working my way through them. Um, but right now I have them at 11. I don't really see anybody that can jump him that I haven't watched yet. Maybe Tyrese Maxey. Um, but, you know, from the guys that I've officially kind of written reports on, uh, I have Patrick Williams at 11. So um, I don't see him being able to get that high personally so i mean i think this is going to be a really good conversation so uh is is williams the youngest player in the draft uh he's a few days older than lamello and uh the youngest is uh alexa pokuchevsky i think he's like a new year's eve baby okay so so he is still 18 though um yep you know like lamello like anthony edwards he'll be coming to the nba and playing his entire rookie year as a teenager um uh 29 games for florida state he did not start any of them however he was always on the court in crucial situations and i think that speaks many more volumes than whether he started the games or not uh florida state was a super deep team as well so if you're on the floor for um uh for florida state in those situations i, I just blanked on their coach's name help me Leonard. out Yes, I knew Leonard. <laughs> Should have but, said Kawhi one. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but, you know, we obviously know how, how much he values, uh, you know, things like experience and defense. And so for him to have, you know, a kid like Patrick Williams on the floor in crucial situations just speaks volumes about uh, Patrick's ability. So uh, he averaged about 22 and a half minutes a game on about uh, seven field goal attempts per game, shot 46% from the field. 32% from three on just under two attempts per game, uh, 84% from the line on about two and a half uh, attempts per game, nine points, four rebounds, and assists, a steal, and a block per game. So the stats don't screen lottery pick, but the skill set does. Yeah, and, and if you look at those numbers per 40, which is, you know, I, I love that metric, um, basically adjusted, you know, at a minute per minute rate. Uh, I mean, dude, if you're getting a guy who had played starter level minutes, you're getting someone who, according to per 40 minutes, it's 16.4 points per game, seven rebounds, and then 1.8 of each of assists, steals, and blocks. I mean, that's a, if you had to take away, you know, maybe the assists go down, whatever, one of those goes slightly down, that's that's three and a half steals plus blocks a game, uh, which is incredibly impressive for a small forward. Yeah, no question. 
And no what's even crazier is uh, something of background on Patrick Williams is that's a guy who came to Florida State to learn to play defense. I mean, he's very noticeably raw on that end. And that was one of his biggest motivating factors when he came to FSU was to learn to play defense under Leonard Hamilton. Yeah, and it shows. Um, you know, we, we've seen, you know, how he's developed as a defender. But uh, before we get too deep into the evaluation, um, talk about Patrick Williams as an athlete. Really good athlete. Um, he is explosive, uh, has a high motor, which is quite a combination. Uh, moves really well. I, I don't really have any negatives on his athleticism. With his size, frame, and athleticism combination, I mean, it's it's a – I would not want to be under the rim with him going – having a full uh, head of steam. Yeah, I think when he's moving in a straight line um, and kind of in open space, he's a really impressive athlete. Um, I do think he's a little bit tight, um, and you kind of see some stiffness in his game. Um, and hopefully that's something that kind of gets worked out as he matures into his frame a little bit. Um, but, you know, it is something to kind of keep in mind. Um, and the other question I had was how explosive he is in traffic. Uh, I didn't quite see someone who who had the same level of explosiveness, um, you know, when he had a runway. So, um you know, not not the be all end all uh, for sure, but just something to kind of keep in mind. But again, he's not even 19 yet. Um, and, you know, he already looks like a man like he's he's got that that muscular frame, you know, still has room to grow. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he added another inch or two to his frame as well. Yeah. And I think it's really important um, when you think about the development, you know, less time in the weight room needed for someone like him and more time on the court. I think that means a lot. And he can, you know, work on his jump shot, work on just defensive situation, you know, skill, defensive skills and situational plays. Um, I think that really is valuable to already have that NBA ready frame. And I think he's 225 with 6'8", I think is what you said. Yeah. So I actually didn't uh, cover that. I'm sorry. So. Oh, uh, I made that up. No, but you're right. 6'8", 225, 6'11", wingspan. And by the way, his hands are huge. <laughs> like, and I, I, I didn't notice it until like he just casually went down and, and he's a righty, but with his left hand, just picked the ball up off the floor like it was a tennis ball. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, can, like speaking of lefty pickups, can we just go straight into the ball handling like and just dump, jump right into it? Like his ability to go both left hand and right hand do everything the exact same as a passer and ball handler really stood out to me. Like he made like freakishly fast passes with his left hand, just as good as his right hand. Yeah. Uh, he, he definitely seems to, to be able to go either way as a ball handler um, or as a passer. I do want to touch on his passing a bit later. Cause I think it's a super underrated part of his game. Um, I will say I, as a ball handler, I don't think he's someone who, you know, has the ball on a string at all, but he definitely looks comfortable driving in a straight line either way. And that's important, right? You know, there are some guys, um, you know, Denny Avdia, for example, really doesn't like to go left. Uh, Killian Hazerly doesn't like to go right. So the fact that Williams already will drive in either direction uh, is, is going to be really big for him moving forward. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I think his overall just passing and ball handling um, is helped by just, how smart he is 
Uh, he knows where to go a lot of times. He knows where his teammates are. And like we said with Cole Anthony, uh, he knows where his teammates will be. You know, and that's a super valuable trade as a passer, especially for someone who is going to be, you know, the third or fourth ball handler on the team. Right, exactly. Uh, he, he might be one of the rare guys who can uh, be the role man or the ball handler in a pick and roll uh, and, and realistically do fine either way. Um, so actually, well, we're already talking about it. So uh, l- let's talk a little bit more about his passing ability. So, you know, you mentioned he can make the pass with either handoff live dribble. And I agree with that. Um, you know, w- what kind of in particular stood out to you about his, his passing acumen? I mean, like I said, it, it's just the speed at which he throws it. Like, I mean, he throws bullets from his left hand and his right hand. I mean, he I wouldn't even say he has a dominant passing hand. Like, it's its just either of them can be dominant at any time. He, the way he just reads defenses, he, he's very risky. Uh, he takes risky plays. But, I mean, a lot of times it works out. Like, he knows the right risks to take. I think that makes that kind of justified. Uh, doesn't mean it will necessarily translate in that way to the NBA because, you know, smarter, longer defenders. Um, but he knew what to do so often. Uh, I think uh, that's one of the most important things you can have, though, as a passer, as we kind of talked about uh, right before this with Cole Anthony, you know, th- what separates a main ball handler and whatnot. Yeah, and you know, to me what really stood out was the the decisiveness that he passed with, you know, with a lot of – forwards it's you know do i make this pass i don't i don't think i can get it through and he was pretty confident with his passing ability um which i love to see uh you know especially someone you could throw into the high post and and just have him you know do damage as a passer from there um so let's kind of move back to the scoring though um i want to talk about his shooting mechanics uh and i I really want to emphasize the word mechanic because he almost seems robotic as a shooter. Would you kind of agree with that terminology? Yeah, yeah no, I'd, I'd say his shooting mechanics are robotic uh, for sure. Uh, you know, his, the way he's not square to the basket all the time, uh, or at least his feet aren't, and the way he bends his knees is really awkward. I have a friend who shoots like him, and <laughs> it is a pain. When um, we were in college and we're in it, on a new mural, to the watch. Luckily, this is, uh, you know, someone that's going to be in the NBA, so he has the ability to change that. Uh, I think if he changes his base, though, it's it's going to be a good thing. Uh, his touch is incredible. There's a reason he shot almost 84% from the, the way the ball just goes off his hands. is beautiful. It's just the bottom, the base needs to be fixed. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, he, he really doesn't get much lift either is the other point I would add about the lower body mechanics. And the shot is very slow. Um, you know, it seems like it takes him a while to load up and kind of get into his, his shot. Um, but to me, everything from the waist up looks good. The, the release is high, uh, good wrist action on the shot. Um, so, and, and you mentioned the touch and, and the free throw shooting to back that up. So I see no reason he can't be, or can't develop into a, uh, into a high level corner three point shooter. Uh, at the next level, which we know how valuable that is, especially if you can provide defense on the other end, other end, excuse me, and we'll kind of get into uh, the defensive ability and the the strides that he made under Leonard Hamilton a little bit later. Um, So uh, the other thing I kind of like about his shot is he, he off the dribble to me 
had it looked much more fluid. Um, yep. And and he was willing to kind of go into these you know one dribble pull up mid range jumpers that were very reminiscent of Kawhi. And I, I hate saying that because he's as dead eye as it gets from mid range, but the that's honestly how how I felt watching that. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say the exact same thing. Uh, coming off curls, things like that, uh, one dribble off the curl, anything like that, it, it looks so much quicker and so much more fluid than the spot-up. The spot-up is, you know, the weakness in his jump shot, I would say. I wouldn't really consider his off the, off the dribble uh, or moving jump shot in general. I wouldn't consider that a weakness, would you? Uh, I, I do have some questions major. about him coming off movement consistently, um, but... You know, if he's able to, to speed up his shot like he does in pull-up situations, that's where I really noticed it. Um, you know, I, I didn't really see him doing too much damage coming off screens uh, and shooting. But, you know, just as a pull-up. Um, you know, but, but again, that the, having those mechanics, I think, lends to being able to eventually come off a screen and, and shoot. I'm not sure if he has the, the feet for that, but... Um, you know, regardless, I think he's going to be uh, a good enough shooter, um, you know, and hopefully that develops into being able to shoot off the catch as well. Yeah, and I had seen someone say that the awkwardness of the base was like due to muscle imbalance, like overcompensating for the lack of strength on his lower legs. Like, you know, it's, he has quads, like, like he has OG and, you know, be quads. Like he has tree trunks, but like, <laughs> like it's just, unfortunately, it's only the top half for him. <laughs> so, okay. So we got to get him doing some calf raises. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. So as a finisher, um, someone who's willing to use both hands for sure. Um, but to me, I, I almost would like to see a little more finesse. And in, in his finishing around the basket, but but what do you think? Yeah, so I just pulled up the numbers. He shot 62% of the rim, which is good. Uh, yeah, that's good. Not standout. It's, like, good above average. Um, like you said, though, he's just not, like, creative at the rim. And a lot of those a lot of those finishes at the rim are either one-on-one uh, against, you know, his man that he brought to the rim, or cutters when he was cutting. Uh, and brought the hell tied defense and kind of caught him off guard because he's really quick at that. Uh, so, I mean, he did get a lot of easy looks. I'm not sure if he was a first option type or, you know, teams really glued in on him uh, coming off ball that he would get the same easy looks, you know. Yeah, and I, I do, I, I apologize. I should have mentioned this earlier that, um, you know, his movement off the ball is top notch. He, he knows when to cut. He cuts hard, um, you know, catches his guy napping. So he does move well without the ball. Um, you know, as a cutter going to the basket. Um, one thing that I wrote about him, you know, and his finishing is, uh, you know, like I said, comfortable going up in traffic with either hand, loves to take a power dribble and absorb contact as he elevates, and he'll look to dunk on the weak side rim protector, but he needs a bit of a runway, and that he doesn't have much finesse when he gets to the basket. It's almost like he's just trying to power through the defender, um, and so maybe adding a little bit of that creativity around the basket, because we know he has the touch. That's not a question. It's just, you know, how can I use my body to create a little more space as opposed to just I'm going to absorb contact, take the foul and throw the ball up when you could 
absorb contact, take the foul, and manipulate your body in a way that gives you a better angle at at finishing a layup. Yeah, and and like you said, I mean, he's a power finisher. And you can use that, it's just you can't rely on that. So that is something where he's going to have to learn how to finish at the next level. Definitely. And and I personally, I'm going to change gears a little bit um, and talk about his his kind of budding post-up ability. Um, and that's something that, you know, his, again, I think he's a little too mechanical sometimes with his footwork, but, you know, just at his size right now and, you know, the fact that I think he's going to be able to develop a turnaround jumper at some point, I think he actually offers quite a bit out of the post, especially when you factor in the the passing ability that he has. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen, I actually really didn't take too much notes of him in the paint or I'm sorry, out of the post. Um, but his passing ability out of there, that is where a place where I, I was just looking at one of my clips and out of the, out of the post. I mean, like he, yet again, like I really can't speak highly enough about how good of a passer he is just from every single level. Yeah. And he's not somebody I would post up, but there were a couple times where he took his man into the post. I, I remember one time he traveled pretty badly and, and got away with it. <laughs> Um, so the footwork needs some development, but again, just his body type and, and with his touch and his feel and, um, and his passing ability, that's someone that I, I would really try to develop, um, working out of the post, especially if, uh, if he's able to act as a three for you and take someone who's a little bit smaller into the post, I think would really help him quite a bit. Yep. No, I completely agree. I mean, that is definitely an area where, you know, the post isn't too popular in the NBA, but if you know how to abuse it, 100% you're going to get touches there. For sure. So so anything else offensively that you want to add about Williams before we move to the defensive side of the ball? No, I mean, just to kind of emphasize, I mean, if you're going to take away one thing uh, beyond his passing, I mean, I would really say that, like, as a positive at least, his cutting is just second to none in this class. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's it's pretty it, much. Yeah, it's high up there for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about his on-ball defense first. So do you think he's a guy who can guard threes and fours, just fours, fours and fives? So I have, I'm, I might be reaching here a bit. Uh, I think he can guard two through five pretty comfortably. Oh, okay. Like small ball fives probably uh, more than, you know, like you can't guard Boban or something. But uh, I think you could put him on like a Kristaps Sporzingis, um, assuming that he doesn't end up on Dallas. Something like that, I think he can hold his own. Uh, like his stretch, you know, not a back to the basket big, but any other kind of big, I think he can handle. Interesting. Okay. So I think as an on ball defender right now, I think he's more limited, um, you know, probably to guarding fours and maybe some threes. Um, I'm just not sure his, his, he's fluid enough to guard wings personally. Um, but I do think he can guard some small ball fives. I agree with you there uh, just because of the, the length and the, you know, the verticality um, that he can achieve. So um, I think that's ultimately going to be some, something that ends up being a disagreement here and kind of why you're higher on him than I am yep. is you're projecting the on-ball defense to improve, I'm assuming. Yeah. It, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I mean, and another thing that it, beyond just the improvement 
projection. I mean, would you rather have a combo forward? I mean, you you agree with combo forward would be kind of his position. Yeah. Would you rather have a combo forward be able to defend down into guards or defend up into bigs? And I think that kind of might be where right. the difference is. Right. It's tough. Um, and, yeah. And that that's just a philosophical difference. Um, yep. And, and I'm not saying he won't get there because I, you know, again, he's so young, and I think that, you know, he can improve athletically. Um, I just have a hard time seeing it because I just saw him too often you know, in an isolation situation where, you know, he opened up his hips too early and he got beat, you know, and I think that was because he, he, he's stiff and he doesn't have the ability to sit down and, and really shadow a ball handler. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's a bad on ball defender, but what I really like about him is his off ball defense and, and, you know, his ability as a team defender. And I think that, at the very least, just gives him a reasonable floor as an all-around defender. Yeah, and and I mean, would you agree he can probably take anybody off ball? Like, I know it sounds weird to say, but like, he could probably say with just about anybody that's not Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, off ball. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, as long as he's not chasing a shooter, you know, even like yeah. a J.J. Redick or something. But, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't really see him needing to do that. Like, like that's not how I would utilize him at the next level. But, you know, when you watch Florida State, they they switch almost everything, um, you know, one through five. So, you know, you saw with, you know, Vassell and with Williams, you see them constantly calling out, you know, defensive assignments and, you know, who's switching where. And so he's, he's very aware of what's going on off the ball. And for someone that young to be that engaged defensively, I think is huge. Yeah, and... And I would say, like, when his awareness is really high of what's going on, sometimes he does lose discipline, uh, which kind of feeds into a strength, uh, weirdly enough. But because he reads the plays so well, like, I think that's arguably his best tool is how well he reads plays. I mean, I've never seen an 18-year-old freshman uh, read the plays that he does on the defensive end. Like, I maybe the only one is an 18, and it's actually a former FSU guy, which is Jonathan Isaac. The way, the way he can recognize a play is both a blessing and a curse for him right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, one play that really stood out to me, and I, I wish I remember the game it was in, um, but it was a late game situation. I think they had just gone on a, a huge run to retake the lead. Um, oh, Louisville, I think. I think yeah, it was yeah, Louisville. 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 Yeah. And, and he was in deny on, on a guard. And sticking with him, and he realized that was the only option after the guy picked up his dribble. And he ended up getting the steal and a runaway uh, dunk, I believe. So, yep. um, you know, just seeing something like that made you go, oh, wow. Like, you know, th- this is a this is a high level defender. So, you know, at the very least, you're looking at at a three and D glue guy. But but the ceiling is much higher. Uh, I was just watching that play. You, you got me curious. I, I found it under my <laughs> admittedly under my saved plays. But. I, uh, it's just, it's incredible to me, but you know, you don't find a 18 year old freshman with that play recognition that can know exactly where the ball is going. His hands are out, you know, full, uh, I guess I'm doing this on video. Like, uh, like, you know, this is going to be a video podcast, but his arms <laughs> are fully extended trying to block off everything. And, and he lets it go for a second, baits the passer into it and turn over and pass break dunk. It's, it's really remarkable how many times he did that, that and, 
And another thing from the same game that I remember was how he bit into the uh, the ball handler. Like, he caught him napping. He wasn't looking at his side, and he just blitzed him. And I think those are two really special skills for defenders. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, something that helps him even more is he's a strong rebounder. Uh, one of one of very few young guys who will who looks to box out, get his body on someone and and then attack the ball at his highest point. So um, and again, he's a guy who who can take the ball and go. Uh, probably not ideal for him to do so. But the way he sees the floor, um, you know, even in transition, just pushing the ball ahead, um, you know, is, is something I feel comfortable projecting him to do at the next level. Yeah, and I would say his transition passing is actually probably where his passing is at the best, for example. Yeah, for sure. The To me, what stood out the most about his his entire pack, like the, the entire package of Patrick Williams was not just the motor, but his demeanor. And I'm going to bring up Kawhi again because I saw a guy who showed no emotion and you know, to a degree, yeah, you want your players showing some emotion, but at the same time, I kind of like when a guy just can't be rattled, um, you know, doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He's just very even keeled. And, you know, depending on the team he goes to, that could be a, a huge culture boost. Yeah. And especially if he goes to the right team, like a team that just underperformed this year, like, I mean, if he goes to San Antonio, you can just say hello to another generation of just brutal uh, games in, in the division, you know, for Dallas fans, that is just probably the last place Mavs fans would want him to be that. I, I personally think it's a perfect fit for him to not to jump ahead, but I mean, going to the right team is really important for him. Like I said, he went to FSU to learn how to play defense under Leonard Hamilton. If he goes to a team with the right culture, right coaching, everything like that. I mean, it's the ceiling is, the sky's the limit, you know? Yeah, and I think, so let, let's revisit our ranks here. And you talked about him as a potential top five player, but but right now he's 10 for you, he's 11 for me. And I think that's the highest I'll have him at the moment. I, I want to revisit him and see, excuse me, see if I'm missing anything. But I think ultimately where we kind of differ is, I don't know if I ever see him taking the leap that Kawhi did. And I mean, that's obviously a, a once in a, you know, however long type of jump for someone to make into that kind of stardom from, from a borderline. What was, he was just outside the lottery. wasn't he? like 15, yeah, 16. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I don't see him getting there, but at the same time, there's so many shades of it. And so many things that remind me of Kawhi that I'm like, man, I just, I don't want to be wrong about him. And so I almost want to keep moving him up the list for that reason. But at the same time, I just have to be realistic about how I see him. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see him as a lockdown on ball defender. I think he's a really good team defender. You know, I don't see him as a guy who's ever going to be uh, a top two or three scoring option, but somebody who's going to be just a tremendous glue guy and definitely someone who's going to help, your team win long-term. I think he's going to be very conducive to winning. So I actually kind of, and we're just going to move right into comparisons then is, you know, I, I actually kind of see Jeff green and some people might be like, Oh, Jeff green, but 
people forget Jeff Green was a really good player for a long time and who's really conducive to winning basketball. And ultimately, that's what we're looking for. Is he the most talented guy in the class? No. Um, but he's definitely going to be one of those guys that you can put in right away to be, and I'm going to use the term again, to be a glue guy. Yeah. And and I don't even, I, I think he's one of the hardest people to come up with a comparison for in this draft. Um, and instead, I mean, for now, I'll, I'll just give a roll. Like you said, he's the super glue guy. Uh, he's the Draymond type. He's not a Draymond. Just let's be clear about that. He has some overlapping qualities, but he's not Draymond. Uh, that is in no way a comparison. But he's a Draymond type that everybody needs. He's versatile uh, on both ends of the floor. Are you going to trust him to be a good shooter? Eh, maybe. I mean, it's not going to be your, the demise of the team if he can't shoot, you know? Uh, really heady overall, uh, capable of being the playmaker, guards. I mean, we disagree about who he guards. Personally, I mean, I think he can guard virtually anyone within the realm of, you know, his size, near his size at all, uh, just non-point guards. And I think you get a winning player, like you said. And ultimately, when you get in the draft, you try to do two things. Avoid getting a bust and getting someone who tries to get who gets you closer to a title. And I think you get that with Patrick Williams. Absolutely. Um, and do we really need to go into best fits? I think we both kind of agree that it's San Antonio. <laughs> so I don't think there's any bad fit for him. Obviously, San Antonio is great. Uh, I don't see them going into a rebuild either, which is good because I think Patrick Williams benefits – uh, helps the team the most that's trying to win, uh, that isn't over the hump yet and isn't trying to rebuild. Kind of stuck in that middle ground. I think he's a guy that pushes you over. We saw that with Golden State. Uh, when he was drafted in 2012, Golden State was a mediocre team. They were in that range uh, with Draymond, excuse me. And again, I, I really hate to use him as a comparison, but he's that type. It's uh, not the type of player. So anyone really, I think from Charlotte to the 14th team, whoever that ends up being, really benefits from getting him. Those are all teams trying to get over that hump. Absolutely. So, um, you know, that I think kind of wraps up um, Cole Anthony and Patrick Williams. So uh, we're going to jump into a few of our um, questions submitted by you guys and do a, a little mailbag here. So, um, you know, we'll try to do as many as we can, but I know we're already kind of deep into uh deep into the podcast here. So, you know, hopefully you guys don't mind listening an extra 10, 15 minutes here. So um, Richard, I'm going to kind of defer to you on this one because uh, you're definitely more involved in the draft Twitter community uh, than I am at this point. Um, but our buddy Hobo J, <laughs> great name, asks, who is one player that is, uh, that is below the draft Twitter community consensus that you would pound the table for as a scout in a draft room. So basically someone that you think is being tremendously undervalued by draft Twitter right now. Man, I mean, it used to be Desmond Bain. I mean, for the last two years. That's your guy. Uh, unfortunately for me, for this exact moment, that is no longer the case. You finally caught up. Um, I would say Deservedly so. Yeah, my new guy, it took me down to my number 38 player, I think, to see someone who... I don't see him getting any recognition from draft, draft Twitter. I think he's easily a top 40 player, probably sneaks into my top 30, uh, which is Emmett Williams out of LSU. Uh, Jared, I know I've, I've talked to you about him a few times off air. Uh, he's a perfect rocket center. He's that new center type. I mean, even the Mavs have kind of run this type out. Super athletic, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, really long, uh, excellent defender. He's a rim protector. He played center for LSU this year. Uh, he's a kind of guy that, 
he gets he does all the dirty work and you can play small he can stretch the floor a little bit his free throw percentage is nice he has good form on the jump shot uh that's something i see like translating really well and it projects i think he's going to be one of the steals of the draft all right you heard it here first uh (laughs) let's move on to here's another one that that's probably more of a you question um simon rath asks what would be your top 10 if you combine the last two draft classes <laughs> so i'm not going to put you on the uh, spot and make you come up with a full top 10 unless you have it no but i do got yeah, it. Let's hear it uh so first of all simon uh i have some bad news for half of the listeners and good news for you uh grant williams would not be in my top 10 uh <laughs> but i will say the rest of it goes this i think there's still the top two stays the same right Zion and, and Jaw is 100% head and shoulders above anybody in this class. I don't think that's really up for debate. Uh, and then it kind of opens up from there. Uh, I would probably take R.J. Barrett, go if we know what we know last year, as the third best. Uh, this is obviously without hindsight bias. Um, so R.J. Barrett would stay third. So 2019 gets the whole top three. And then I would go with starting to move in this year. So I would get Anthony Edwards, uh, Onyeko Kongwu, Lamelo Ball, and then I would switch back to 2019, uh, put in Jackson Hayes, and I think what is what am I up to eight now, something like that. I think it's four of each, uh, and then I'll go, you know, put in Killian Hayes, and this is the hardest one for me is deciding between Cole Anthony and DeAndre Hunter, but I'll go I'll go with Cole Anthony on that. So I think 2020 gets more players than 2019. All right. Uh, from, let's go with, I believe it's, is it, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Shamit. Uh, and yep. he's asking, uh, who are some guys you think have an outlier level feature or skill, something you look at and say, yeah, I can't get that in free agency. So the obvious answer here, the two obvious actually are from the same school. One of them we just talked about for 30 minutes is Patrick Williams. Uh, I would say that role is pretty rare to find. And then also his teammate, Devin Vassell. But, I mean, Shamit, you keep up with the draft pretty hard. You know that. Uh, I would go with two people. If you're looking for, like, deep sleepers, um, I think Killian Tilly, if he stays healthy as one, you know, he's kind of that offensive do-it-all big, and I think he can hold his own defensively. Uh, it's all about health for him. Otherwise, I, I think he'd be comfortably a top 25 prospect. Uh, and then I'll throw it back to Emmett Williams again. I mean, how many 6'6 centers are you finding in free agency that – that can be that modern, new era center. And I think that's just something that's really hard to find right now is the small ball fives, like the extreme small ball. And Jared, would you agree with that, that that's kind of one of the hardest things to find right now just because it's so new? For sure, for sure. Um, You know, I'm not able to go into such a deep dive like Richard can, but, you know, I'll just touch on a couple. You know, I think uh, Lamelo's passing is extraordinarily rare. I think Aaron Neesmith's uh, ability to shoot off movement is, um, you know, honestly reminiscent of J.J. Redick to a degree. Um, You know, again, it's very tough to find uh, elite level shooters like that, um, you know, regardless of of what else they can do. So um, and then the other one is, you know, just James Wiseman's combination of of size and athleticism, you know, just doesn't grow on trees. So, um, you know, obviously that's kind of obnoxious just picking three lottery level guys but 
ultimately <laughs> if, if you have an outlier trait then to me you probably should be going in the in the lottery yeah i mean like technically not wrong in, in the least bit you know yeah so let's cover two more questions today um and then uh again keep keep submitting these questions because because uh, we're having a good time doing this so um Bert asks, would you be, or sorry, would you trade way back in the second round to move up four or five spots to get Sadiq Bay? Um, and then he basically asks, is, is that a realistic trade? So how far do you think you can go up if you com- if you package the, the 31st pick, pr- presumably what will be the 31st pick, uh, which what I, I would assume has, has pretty good value, especially because it's a non-guaranteed contract. Yeah. So I would say, so I'm assuming the question is, yeah, like you said, 18 and 31, where does I get you? Uh, I would probably guess, I mean, it's hard to tell with this kind of year, there's no drop off at all from 18 to 31 in my eyes. I think I've said this for almost a year now. Uh, the difference between 20 and 60 is almost nothing. The difference between 50 and 30, 15 and 30, put out any order. I'm not going to fight you over it. There's no there's no definitive uh, answer on that. So I think you can probably get a decent spot. I'd say 14 or 13. And if you're feeling bold, depending on who the 12, 12 team is, you might be able to finesse them into something if they don't have any other picks. If they want two young players, you very well may be able to pull it off. So I think 12 is Well, okay. So let's say you get up to 13 or regardless, is Sadiq Bey someone that you would feel comfortable giving up that 31st pick for? Probably not. Uh, now, I do think Dallas would be, though. I, those are two different questions, you know, and I, I think Dallas would do it. I personally would not. I just okay. I think there's too much value in, in a second player. I'd rather have two wings than one Steve Bay. I, I'm a little hesitant on it as well. I just think there's going to be somebody valuable, uh, somebody else. And uh, let me pull up their name because uh, they deserve some recognition. Um, asked about Leandro Bomaro um, and if he would yeah. be a good fit with the Mavericks. And, and you know, that's someone that we'll, we'll cover in, in his own episode. Um, but I do just want to give that person credit for asking. And that was that was all things Mavs. So, yeah, uh, they asked if we could break down uh, Bomaro's game. Um, but, you know, again, somebody like that who you could even stash overseas might still be available at 31. Um, so I'd be a little hesitant to, to move out of that spot. I, I think you could get two contributors um, with 18 yeah. and 31. Yep, and someone like Bomaro is really valuable. I mean, I'm not I'm not as high on him as a lot of people in draft Twitter Twitter are. Excuse me, uh, can I restart that? I'm not I'm not I'm not sending that out. Uh, yeah, so I'm not I'm not as high on Bomaro as a lot of people in draft Twitter are. Uh, but I would still say that taking a swing on someone like him is worth more than just one really good guy. And, and all things maps just answer uh, a short version, because I think eventually we're going to get to him. We still have four months till the draft. Uh, a, breakdown, a little breakdown, I would say, is really good defender, really good size, incredible passer. Uh, I mean, he's up there probably, be behind, probably behind Mello. Uh, Lamelo Ball was the best passer in the class, um, you know, right in that territory. And my issue with him, the reason I just can't get high on him is the jump shot. I, I need a lot of, I need to see a lot of improvement. That's, that's such a fatal flaw uh, that if it wasn't for that, he'd probably be a target for 18. Interesting. All right. So we got a bonus question there. Uh, let's finish it with this one. 
because uh, I think we could have a pretty decent discussion from uh, Reddit Mavericks asked uh, how much, ex or I don't know how much experience you guys have looking at overseas, but what do you fellas think about Americans foregoing college to play in other countries and then entering the draft pool? Um, so I want to hear your thoughts, uh, but I have some as well. Uh, personally, I have no issue with it. I've always said whether it's basketball, sports, not sports, college isn't for everybody. You don't have to go. It's not something that we should feel pressured into doing just because of all the, I mean, there's so many elements to it. Uh, and this obviously goes beyond basketball, but if it's in your best interest, like, yes, do it. It's a better alternative than the one and done. You get pro experience right away. You have people who have been through the dirty work. They've gone through the trenches. You learn so much doing that. And, and I think it teaches people to grow up, especially if you're going to Slovenia. I mean, just as a random country that may have ties to the maps or <laughs> Uh, you learn a lot. I mean, you learn how to live on your own, you know, I mean, and that's a super valuable skill. You grow up. And I think that's a big part of when you hear NBA players talking, you know, they had to grow up. They had to grow up. You get that out of the way. And so, Jared, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, first of all, you have to be a, a certain kind of individual to be able to handle that. Um, you know, in some cases, they're going to countries that, you know, you have to they don't speak English. You know, the culture is totally different. Like uh, Manuel Moutier went to China to play. That, that's a totally different world. You know, obviously you have guys like LaMelo and RJ Hampton going to Australia. You know, it's a little more familiar, but still it's, it's in a different hemisphere, you know, two different hemispheres. So, um, you know, you're, you're totally adjusting to a new way of life. You know, allegedly the toilet flushes the other way. I don't know if that's true, but that's the rumor. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I, I think there's several factors that players need to consider. I think one thing is you have the G League now. Um, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see how guys like um, Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd and, and all those guys do um, in the G League. Um, but I think something that that players really need to remember is um, you're unless you're really really good and I mean you know almost like an outlier skill level you're not going to get the minutes that you think you deserve when you're playing overseas and the reason for that is you're playing against guys who already played college balls some of them already played in the NBA um, you know you're you're taking a huge leap from playing you know potentially other 15 and 16 year olds to now you're playing against a 30 year old man, you know, things are just very different. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a di everyone has their own situation and, you know, in some cases it, it's the right decision in other cases it's not, um, you know, but I, I, I think ultimately we're going to see more guys go the G league route as opposed to going overseas, because I just feel like there's, there's fewer obstacles to overcome. Now, of course, in two years, this may be a moot point because we, we may have that double draft where, you know, you're going to have guys like Amani Bates being eligible straight out of high school. Um, you know, and then once that happens, you know, again, there, there are some, there's some credence to going overseas as opposed to going straight to the NBA or going to college, you know, the, overseas would kind of be that middle ground you know you're not quite ready for the nba but you feel like you're going to put up 30 points a game in college and it's not enough of a challenge and you want to grow up fine um 
you know, so uh, I think that'll be the interesting thing to watch moving forward is, are we, you know, are we still going to see guys going overseas, even though one, the G League is an option and two, they can jump straight from high school to college. Yeah, and I think the G League's um, the G League's evolution is going to change a lot of how you see going to the NBL. I mean, that's those are the two obvious biggest competitors now with each other. I don't think you have to worry about players signing in China, worry about them signing, you know, random European places. Uh, I think it's really going to be NBL and the G League. I think those are going to be the two hotspots. Yeah, for sure. So uh, if we did not get to your um, question today, I apologize. But again, keep asking. Um, You know, we got more questions than we anticipated, which is wonderful. Um, We look forward to continuing to interact with everyone and answer those questions moving forward. Um, I do want to apologize. Um, You know, we we had some technical difficulties on this call. Um, You know, we're, we're Skyping this as, you know, as our means of recording right now. So, um, you know, I'm doing the best we, we're doing the best we can to edit it, but just know that some stuff can't quite be fixed. And, and so you might have a few weird jumps here and there, but, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't take away from the experience too much. Yeah. And, and I apologize on two things. One, uh, apparently my Lamella ball pun didn't make the cut, uh, last week. It got cut out at the worst <laughs> time, uh, as you can guess, it had to do with the word ball. Uh, but <laughs> The other thing, you know, the Mavs draft office is closed right now. So that's, you know, we have to do this remote. That's just, you know, problem of, uh, of the current situation, you know? So, exactly. <laughs> so once, uh, once the pandemic ends, you know, just suddenly it's just going to be way better. <laughs> For sure. So uh, again, let us know if you like this format a little better where we take your mailbag questions. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, you can hit up Richard at Mavs draft on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Jared underscore cats 30. Um, and, um, I think that just about wraps up this episode. So thanks again for listening and talk to you guys soon.